When life is difficult, Samaritans are here. Day or night, 365 days a year. You can call them for free on 116 123. Email them at joe at or visit Whatever you're facing, the Samaritans are here to listen. Hi, this is Nick of the Beer Podcast. The following podcast contains conversations regarding suicide and self-harm. If you are affected by any of these issues, then please reach out to the relevant services to get the help that you deserve. Thank you. Welcome to the Beer Podcast. My name is Nick Minns. Um, on tonight's podcast, I'm very lucky to be joined by Sammy Wood. Uh, she's joining us all the way from Australia today. Um, so it's early in the morning where you are, Sammy, isn't it? Yes, it's 8 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night in, in the UK. So yeah, as I say, just uh, really appreciate you getting up early to come to come in there and speak to us today so thanks so much for that thank you um so your story's been one that i've been following very closely for quite a while um so we're gonna kind of go back to the start if you like um obviously quick trigger warning to anybody who might be listening um there will be extensive talk of uh suicide uh, on this podcast, but I think it's a, a very important subject which needs to be addressed throughout the world, really, not just in one country. It needs to be addressed all over the place. Um, so, yeah, if you want to take us really back to where this all begun, began for you, really, Sammy. Okay. Um, well, it really began when my brother was gosh, 16, 17. So he was diagnosed with ADHD very early on in his life. Um, He was medicated up until, I think, when he was an adult and then he was no longer medicated. Um, That medication caused him to have a tick. Uh, So my mum took him off the medication. Um, And as time went on um my brother just suffered with depression he was a gay man um he came out when he was about 17 ish um and i know he felt a lot of shame he used to get bullied in school for it um, because he looked different or he you know he wanted to hang out with the girls more um he did dancing and um It all really started from there. So obviously it got progressively worse Um, in his, uh, when he was an adult, um, he started self-harming. You know, he would have cuts and things on on himself. Um, And really it just kind of snowballed from there. So he was in the system, in our system um, at the hospital for about, 16 years um 
never really got the help that he needed. Um, you know, he would see a psych here and there, um, but he just wasn't really getting the help uh, that he really, really needed. Um, so um, he would have episodes um, after episodes of wanting to die. Um, he would self-harm to the point where he would have to have uh, emergency surgery. Um, one of the last times before he ended his life, he actually severed the tendons in his arms and couldn't, they weren't, obviously he couldn't use them. So he had to go in for emergency surgery to repair them. Um, I remember that time um, I went to his house after being notified of what happened and went into the apartment and it looked like a murder scene. I remember having to, you know, I obviously didn't want to leave the place a mess uh, for him to come back home to. So I cleaned up his blood, pools and pools of blood and not just little specks here and there. It was clotted. It was just horrific. And I cleaned that up with my bare hands and that's something that is etched into my memory and I don't think I'll ever um, really get over having to clean my brother's blood up with my own bare hands. Um, so, it, yeah, it, the self-harming was getting worse and worse and worse over time. Um, eventually, during that period, he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, and I think that was a bit of a shock to him, um, I think he, I don't think he really took it very well. Um, I was always on the assumption that he actually had bipolar because he would be quite erratic um, with his self-harming and other times, you know, he would be on a big high. And, uh, yeah, I just felt for a while there I thought he did have bipolar, but um, after one of the last times he was in hospital before he ended his life, um, I spoke to the doctor and the doctor said um, these kinds of behaviours is, is quite normal uh, for uh, borderline personality patients. Um, so, yeah, that happened. And then um, everything, he, he said he was going well. He, was, he said he was in a different mindset and he was, you know, wanting to get better and tried to cut out drinking and things like that. Obviously, being a gay man and a, a professional dancer, he was constantly out in the nightlife and um, dancing and, you know, drinking with his friends. And, and he said he was going to put a stop to all that and, um, you know, get, get on with things. And then um, it was the 28th of August, 2021, he texted me. Um, about two or three hours before he took his life. Um, he texted me and asked me if I wanted to go over and hang out with him and to kind of put it in context, I had been caring for my brother um, nearly every weekend. Just I needed to know that he was okay and I knew that at that time when, you know, he severed his tendons and things in his arms and he couldn't use them, 
you know, I, I was stressing of, you know, who's going to look after him, who's going to be there for him. So I was caring for him. Um, I would go over and cut up his vegetables and things like that so he could eat. I would take him out, you know, for a run, for a walk. We'd go to the gym together, try to go to the gym together. Um, and, yeah, he texted me a couple of hours before he took his life and said, do you want to, can you come over? And I I lied to him because I was just exhausted and I just wanted a break and I just wanted one, just one night to be on my own. And um, he, in that, in, I, obviously I didn't reply to his message um, until the next day. Um, and in that time frame of those, you know, few hours, he called my mum and um, he said to mum, you know, I'm loving my life. I love my life. I'm, I've got a really good job. You know, I finally feel like I'm going to get back on track. Um, you know, I want to achieve all these goals. And then hung up the phone and hung himself. Um, so, yeah, he, he hung himself in his apartment um, with his little dash hound dog with him. Um, and we didn't find out until the next day at about lunchtime. I had texted him in the morning, obviously replying back to his message, told him that I'll, I just went to sleep. Um, and when I didn't hear from him, I messaged him again and I, all I wrote was Jamie. And in that time, my mum called me and said, I haven't heard from, I haven't heard from your brother, um, you know, can you give him a call and try and call him? I've tried to call him, but he's not answering. And I, it's, this still haunts me, this conversation between my mum and I. I said to mum, mum, like, just don't worry about it. He's not dead. It's He's okay. He's fine. He's probably just sleeping. And now an hour went by again, and then I get the phone call from my mum just screaming down the phone saying he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. Um, and, yeah, it kind of just just started from there, like my journey. Um, yeah, that, that, that conversation between my mum and I, I, I replay that back in my mind and think, why, why did I ever say he's not dead? And, you know, for it to actually happen um yeah so there's this i mean th thank you so much for for opening up about that i mean there's this there's so many different aspects there which are going on you know with yeah with your brother and you know i mean even when you kind of start the start i mean obviously in being a um a homosexual man and but then being yeah. you know kind of bullied and then marginalized already because of that and you know yeah. it's it, i mean it's a it, it's a fairly prevalent thing in the uk as well with you know bullying and you know these kind of toxic masculinity which is kind of causing yeah. all these um individuals to be marginalized in ways which just really out fair um it is. so i mean i mean the one thing that 
that kind of stood out to me as well is is when you're talking about obviously he was he was self harming, but yeah. kind of like the sixteen years kind of in and out of of care. I mean, yeah. what what sort of care was was offered to him? You know, along with with because um, I don't I don't know how it works in 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 Australia because in in well in the UK you kind of if you get checked into a into a hospital. Um, normally, mm-hmm. you have a short stay on a psych ward, uh, the, uh, or, or to put you on a secure unit. But the vast majority of people that have kind of had the the privilege to speak to about their experiences have have all said that after time you kind of kind of let out and into the world and off you go again, and not really yeah. any support put in place for anybody. Yeah, that's right. It's it's very it's similar here. Um, so each time my brother would self-harm, um, you know, he, he was living with his boyfriend at the time, um, like most of this time, um, they were together for 10 years. So his part, his partner obviously saw a lot and experienced a lot himself. And so he would regularly call the police if Jamie was to self-harm, um, or an ambulance, obviously. Um, and then what happens from that point, um, the police will do, will put you under an EEA, which is an emergency um, examination. And so you are forced to go to hospital. Um, and then from, from there, the hospital will generally decide whether or not it's severe enough for you to have an inpatient stay if for a short period of time or you know to the psych ward um not once in jamie's whole life did jamie ever be put in hospital for for his mental health he was never admitted as a patient they would just he would attend the hospital they would look him over and send him on his way even with severed tendons in his arms. I mean, it was her it was horrific. Like I have I have videos and photos from that time and you can see there's just yeah, it, it is horrific. It's so the fact that he was presenting to the hospital, I think um, I had a reporter report on you know, our story, and they did a timeline of, um, you know, a few months leading up to Jamie's death, and he presented to the hospital 11 times in, I think it was about four months, 11 times, and each time they let him go. Even when he, even when um, I, I showed them the suicide note he left once, they still let him go. So, you know, he wasn't getting the care that he needed at all, at all, not, not in any way. Um, they just offered, um, like, counselling services. Um, go and see your GP for a referral uh, for psychology sessions. Um, when he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, um, the doctor explained that there is targeted therapy for borderline personality disorder but it's not like say 
you know, bipolar where you can take medication. It was a, uh, like a, basically like a, counts, a, a very in-depth um, counselling for a period of time. So um, it wasn't like you can just take a, a pill and, you know, you're feeling better. It was really, really difficult work for Jamie to want to be like to want to do, you know, when you're depressed and when you're struggling, you don't want to do anything. You, you the last thing you want to do is be, you know, put into a, a therapy session, prolonged therapy session for, you know, 10 weeks. Um, he wasn't motivated or determined enough to do that. So I feel like he, he, he really lacked any kind of care Oh, the hospital really. The yeah. I believe that the hospital really didn't take it seriously, and the and this is why people are dying because they're not taking, you know, these screams for help seriously, and you're left on your own own terms after you leave the hospital to go and get help, and you know, people that are struggling aren't motivated enough to do that. So then they just end up back in that cycle. I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's such a, a similar sort of story um, as what's happening in the UK. Just, just, you know, it's just, I think there's sometimes still that stigma around them just feeling that, oh, they're just doing it for attention. I mean, that's, that's yeah. something that gets thrown around so much and it really, oh, yeah. really, really annoys but it's me. Not- yeah, it, it is not a t- attention. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there is something going on for them to self-harm or, you know, want to, want to die. There's something going on. It's not just, oh, I just want attention. It's something deeper. And I think that's really where I feel like there is fault in our systems because, you know, professionals have this idea of, of that yeah, it's, it's attention-seeking, but it's so much more than that. It is a, it is a real cry for help. It's, it, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, one of the questions that was going through my mind when I was thinking about, you know, because I've um, obviously going over your story, seeing like the newspaper articles and things and, and seeing mm-hmm. pictures of your brother, he always kind of presented as quite a happy... Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, to, to, but again, you know, that's the, you know, I, I always say the, you know, individuals who suffer from mental health problems are some of the best actors ever because they can put this front yeah, on and are. make it seem like on the outside everything's absolutely fine, but you know, behind closed doors, yeah. it's, um, I mean, well, sorry, go on, sorry, 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 I've just cut you off. No, there. no, no, that's fine. <laughs> No, I, I totally agree. Like Jamie lived a thousand lives in one. You know, he was a professional dancer. Um, he just travelled the world. You know, he's gone to nearly every single country I can think about, um, you know, performing and dancing on cruise ships. And he lived the most amazing life, yet deep down he just was struggling so bad. You know, and he made everyone else happy. He was he was truly the light of everyone's life. And you know, 
you just really don't know what someone is going through. I mean, what do you think was Jamie's biggest, you know, what was the thing that you think he was struggling with most? Um, so, oh, like, I think he was really struggling with being in pain daily, yeah. like in his mind and in his heart. I think he wanted so bad to, you know, to just live a normal life um, where, you know, he wasn't slandered for being gay. Like he wasn't, you know, bullied. He wasn't, you know, all of those things. I think he just really, really struggled with, yeah, being in pain daily um, and not feeling normal. So, Obviously, you know, that day comes and um, Jamie's unfortunately taking his life. I mean, what, what was those moments kind of, I suppose, like, the, the you know, the weeks after that, you know, what was that mm. like for you as a family? Because obviously there's your mum and have you got another brother as well, haven't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I have a younger brother. Yeah. So are you a big sister then? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, you as a family, um, yeah, I mean, like it was, we've always, my family and I have always been very close. Um, we just have obviously gotten immensely close since Jamie died. Um, but those weeks following kind of a bit of a blur for me, I was running on absolutely nothing. Um, I don't think I had a shower for a whole week. Um, my mum even really struggled at one point there where she she called me and she said, um, she goes, I've got to tell you something. And I said, yeah. And she goes, I, have, I had a razor blade in my hand and I wanted to just kill myself too. And, I mean, I, I've obviously had moments of that, of that too, but to hear your own mum say that, it was just really, really, really hard. So those, those weeks were really, really tough. Um, we had extended family come over for um, a couple of weeks almost every night. Um, Jamie's friends would regularly come over as well to my parents' place. I stayed at my parents' for a while. I couldn't return back home, um, especially because I'm on my own, single mum. I just didn't want to be by myself. Yeah. Um, but, though, yeah, those weeks were really difficult. Really, you know, we're having to plan a funeral. We're, you know, trying to tie up loose ends, um, you know, let all of our family know. So we've got family in England um, my aunties and, and cousins and things like that still live over there. Uh, so we obviously had long conversations with them on the phone and, you know, just letting everyone know what's, what's happened. Um, but, yeah, those, those weeks were, are very much of a blur. I, I don't remember a whole lot 
of those first initial weeks, I think I think you're still in shock then. Like he's just you just feel like he's just gone away on another dancing contract and he's, you know, gonna walk through the door. Um that's what it genuinely feels like is that it's not real. Like this, you know, it can't be real. But then, you know, reality sinks in and and you're left to pick up pick up all the pieces. I mean, you know, the uh I think the the strength that, you know, you and your family have shown is inspiring it really is um you know to kind of see even even down to i mean like, let's talk about you know now you've kind of kind of found that inner strength you know to keep going and obviously you know you talked about your you have a is it, have you got a son yeah 11 yeah. year old son so no good age good age um yeah. <laughs> um so you know it kind of gives you, you know, having having children kind of gives you a bit of a focus to, you know, focus that energy onto. But, um, you know, you've also took it as your battle to look at changing the, you know, the way that suicide is kind of threatened, self harm is threatened within with Australia. I mean. So once that happened, was it kind of like you almost felt like this was kind of like your battle to have? Yeah, so when Jamie, you know, suicided um, and the lack, excuse me, the lack of care he received, you know, um, I had questions. I had questions and... I was seeing red because the hospital failed my brother. They should have not let him go on that many occasions. He needed to be an inpatient and to be assessed properly, not in an emergency setting. He needed one-on-one, you know, intervention. He, He needed that and he wasn't offered that. So I was angry. I... I was angry at my brother, but I was furious at the hospital. Um, So I thought to myself, I I remember there was one day and I thought, no, I'm not keeping their dirty little secrets any longer. You know, I'm not going to let another family fall through the cracks like ours. So I messaged my youngest brother and I said, I'm writing to the minister and I'm going to write it as an open letter and I'm going to post it on social media as well. So we got together and we, you know, came up with this letter. Um, You know, my brother, my younger sibling, his name's Nick. um, Good name, good name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he, um, He suffers... Um, depression and anxiety Uh, he was in the defense and you know he spoke on on his struggles in our letter in our letter as well about mental health and 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 things like that so I posted it on social media I posted on my Facebook and it blew up like there was 
thousands of likes and comments and things. And I didn't just stop there. I then wrote that same letter um, to the chief executive of the Royal Brisbane Hospital where my, my brother was receiving care or not care. Um, I wrote to her. I then sent it to all the relevant ministers. I sent it to, like, the Minister of Ambulance and things like that. Um, I sent it to local MPs um, asking to meet with them um, because I had stuff to say and I wanted my voice to be heard. So, yeah, I just kind of kept pushing and pushing and I met, I've met with quite a few ministers now um, to talk about Jamie's story and, and where they're lacking and what they can do to improve our hospital systems for mental health patients. I met with um, the chief executive of the hospital where Jamie was um, under their care and I took in those photos that I had of Jamie's severed arms and cuts and, you know, everything. I took in everything and I pretty much forced her to look at it because I don't think that, you know, because they're not on the wards, they, they don't see the severity of things. Um, so, I yeah, I took, took all those in. Um, she was quite shocked. She went white in the face. Um, and I pretty much demanded answers. I said, you know, why was Jamie let go so many times? You know, why didn't this happen? Why, why you know, why wasn't he getting that care? I put it to her and they decided to do a, it's, it's like a, a root analysis kind of um, after someone dies by suicide while under their care, they generally do these. So it's basically like an independent investigation into their uh, processes and procedures. Um, and, you know, a couple months went by and I asked for the report of those findings and the independent um, reviewer saw some, you know, downfalls. And so we met again with the chief executive director of the hospital and she asked for my family's recommendations on what they can do to improve the system. So I came at them with everything that I could think of um, to better the system uh, for mental health patients. So I feel like in a way Jamie's death isn't hasn't been for nothing. You know, it's they have improved some of their systems. Um, they came our family came up with a, a system um, basically like if you present to a hospital over a number of period like over a number of period of times and it's consistent or you know it's getting worse that patient needs to be red flagged in their yeah. system because 
you know, what's to say a junior, a junior doctor doesn't come on who's or comes on and has never seen this patient before and doesn't know about their history and how many times they presented and the severity of it, and then they just let them go and then that person goes and kills themselves. You know, there has to be some kind of system in place where every single doctor, you know, hospital worker can see if this person is red flagged for, you know, continuous self-harm and presenting to the hospital and then they need to be assessed by a senior psychiatrist. You know, they need to be red flagged and they need to have some intervention there. Uh, so I feel like as angry as I am at the hospital, I feel like, you know, they have taken taken some of our recommendations and have put them to use. Um, and that's because of my brother and that's because of, it's because I just can't give up. You know what I mean? I, I can't. I can't let my brother's death be in vain and I have to do everything I can to change change the way these systems are and change, you know, the stigma around mental health. This is the thing, wait, when you, you know, like your story and, and so many other people who, are, who go through these things, it's almost, it's sad in a way that someone has to go through this for change to happen. And, you know, that mm -hmm. things don't, aren't just there in the first place. You know, that primary care is not there. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also amazing that, you know, through through your grief, you found the strength to think also to take into consideration other people and go, I've gone through this our family's gone through this and when mm. we don't want other people to go through this and yeah I mean it's just it is just so it is utterly inspiring it really is um it's a kind of I think I I kind of you know at first there I struggled big time like I wanted to end my life as well I didn't want to be here anymore I I just wanted to give up because I just wanted to be so, I just wanted to be with my brother. Like my brother and I had the most amazing bond, um, something I'm, I'm forever grateful for, that I got to spend 31 years with him. Um, and it was, it's a bond that I'm always forever going to yearn for. But I came to a point where I was, just like, you know what, I've got two choices right now. I either let this absolutely destroy me and, you know, there was a while there where I was like, yep, this is, this is going to kill me. This is going to kill me. And then my second choice was to use his death and my pain as power to change things. And I'm glad I chose that second option 
because, you know, I, I fight and I use my voice and I want to see change for not just for, you know, other families, but I think about my own child. I think about, God forbid, if he ever has to enter a system that is so flawed and so disappointing that I just, yeah, I, I just won't stop until, you know, things are changed and and I think about our children. I think about, you know, other family members. I think about all the Jamies of the world, you know, that are struggling and I just have to do my bit. I just have to do my bit. I, I, I mean, when I first started doing this, this podcast, I mean, it obviously came out of me struggling with depression and anxiety and all these thoughts of of um, kind of fearing death. and it, it, But the more I've... It was almost one of them conversations that at the start of this, I didn't want to really have with like talking about suicide and things. But yeah. the one... Getting to understand that the process that people go through, you know, like talking to people about their experiences with people like yourself who have gone through it, but from the other side of it as well, it's that understanding for me now has developed into, it It just gives me, a, you know, a greater understanding of, of, you know what, these conversations really need to happen all the time. It shouldn't yeah. be a taboo subject that you're afraid of talking about because there's always this stigma around, oh, if you talk about suicide around someone who's suicidal, they're going to do something. And most yeah. of the time that's completely wrong. So, yeah. um, and, and to I'm be honest, right. we being brought up the way that we were and the, the way that things were looked at when we were younger, it, it was one of those things where it was, oh, yeah, you can't talk about suicide. You can't talk about that yeah. in front of people. What if, the, if they're yeah. thinking about it? And then they go, do it, do it. And, and you know, now, when you look back now, you go, that was utterly ridiculous, really, to think yeah. that, that, that you'd think by just talking about it, they'd go do it. It's... Yeah. I know. You see, when you talk, I know for, for me anyway, I... I love talking about Jamie. I I don't the reason why I talk so much about my brother's suicide is because I think the conversations need to happen. You see, you know, when I'm in person talking with someone and you know, I'll say, you know, my brother suicided, their face just completely change changes. You know, it's it's the subject that no one wants to talk about because it is sad. Um, but it's one of those conversations that you have to have. Yeah, it re it really is in the fact that when you talk about people, people's kind of expressions. When I mean, I've 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 kind of gone gone to to kind of you know meet up with friends and things like that. And said oh, I've talked to an individual. When I started this, it was oh, I've talked to an individual talked about self-harm and this and there are you know you could sense that there was this oh, oh okay yeah but for me now it's it's almost become the norm and like i'll talk about these things at least every day you know every day yeah. i'll have these conversations whether or not it's on a podcast or whether or not it's on a live or a reel because i just think that these 
the conversations need to happen more and more and more. And the more it's natural to us, the more it'll be natural for also our kids and the next generation that's coming through who then yeah. won't be afraid of talking about what's going on with themselves and what's yeah. going on, you know, especially like in things like school and, you know, the environment yes. that, that is, it's high pressure and a lot of bullying, you know, it still yes. happens. Um, and yeah, it's actually something that I have been working on um, in the background, um, putting together a, almost like a, a program that will be introduced into schools, you know, talking about bullying and, and suicide and, you know, depression and mental illness and things like that. Um, because I do think it starts very young. I think it starts in schools. Does I know it did for you know it did for Jamie, um, and I think if we equipped our next generation with the tools um, they need to kind of you know figure out whether or not you know they're suffering from something and not hide it. I think if they're equipped with the tools and, and understanding of mental illness and the effects on bullying and, and, and learning about, you know, suicides and suicide rates and men's mental health and all of those things, I think it's our next generation would, will be a lot safer. And, that, and I suppose that's the thing when you kind of think it, it, it is safer. And, you know, I, I think our generation has been one of those where it's been almost brought up to be taboo and to be something yeah. that you don't talk about and you bottle up and, you know. It, yeah, because that's yeah. the norm, right? That's yeah. the norm. You don't, that's, that's been the norm. You, it's you been conditioned. Yeah, that's it. that's the norm, like, especially for men is, you know, it's weak. You, you know, boys don't cry. You know, that kind of, that really irritates me, Um I make it a very known point in in my house that you know I let Nash see me cry Nash often cries and I just think that whole you know boys shouldn't cry um comment is just really damaging it is completely I mean I'm I uh I was always one where I kind of bottle things up but I'd cry behind closed doors and you know since kind of really accepting what was going on with me and, you know, sitting in front of doctors and crying my eyes out. And I'd never, never had done that before, but it almost mm. felt quite empowering doing that and being yeah. able to be honest with myself. And then that kind of made it, you know, made me kind of be more in touch with my, um, with my feelings and my emotions. And then, yeah. you know, me talking to my, my boys and saying, look, right. It, if anything, it makes you more of a, not just more of a, a man, but as more of a human to cry. Because, yeah, you know, normal. emotions are there as almost the body's way of releasing all these different hormones. And, you know, yeah. it's a regulator. It's almost like a regulator for, for what's going on. So by bottling them, bottling up them emotions, you're probably doing yourself more harm than you are good. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I'm, there's studies on, you know, holding in emotions and what it physically does to your body. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's a normal thing to cry and normal for boys to cry. You know, 
we cry when we're babies, when we need something, you know, we do it as adults too, and it's completely normal. So looking obviously at the, at the future, um, I mean, what, what will kind of like your, I mean, I suppose what are your kind of goals or aspirations with regards to what you're kind of, if you like campaigning for at the moment, I mean, what, what are the, the kind of plans for you for the future? Um, so I really, really am wanting to change, <clears throat> change the mental health act. Um, I think it's completely outdated. Um, doesn't work. I think it needs to have a big shake up. So um, I put in some submissions for it, to the mental health inquiry that we recently just had. Um, so I'm really hoping I'm going to continue to advocate and work on that. Um, I plan on revisiting the hospital where Jamie was um, under the care um, and seeing how the system is working now since his suicide. Um, for the near future, like for the very near future, we have Jamie's coronial inquest coming up. Um, they haven't done that investigation yet. So um, I'm in... I'm in talks at the moment with the coroner um, who, you know, has released some information from um, when he was at the hospital and his autopsy reports and things like that. Yeah. So all these things obviously are going to help me um, with my, you know, my goals in the near future because it's just more, more background and more, ways I can use my mind to kind of uh, think about what patients, mental health patients need. Um, I'm very big on the, on, the, on the idea that affected families are your greatest teachers. Yeah. I, I think that's so, decent. I, th yeah. I think sometimes, um, I mean, I always kind of feel like that's, I think, sometimes why individuals who have gone through things with mental health or if the neurodivergent with kind of things like ADHD, dyslexia, autism, they kind of tend to be the people who, uh, uh, you know, like the other sufferers are drawn to because I think they've gone through it. They've learned, from, they don't they learn it just from a textbook. They've lived it. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's... Um, There's no, like, you, you can't go to uni for, you know, six years and learn learn what I've learnt in the last year. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, affected families see it all. We, we've lived it and we've often lived it for decades. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very much on the firm belief that affected families of anything, like anything could be a workplace accident or a workplace death. It could be, you know, suicide. It could be, it could be anything. And any affected family member, you know, 
is your greatest is your greatest teacher. Yeah. I mean, how's how's your, you know, are you are you taking time to get self care for yourself as well? Um, it's I have. Um, I go through stages where you know I'm regularly seeing a psychologist. Um, I I do have PTSD since Jamie's death, um, and I take medication for it. Um, so that's definitely helped me kind of regulate my emotions and and make sense in a way of what's now happened to me. Um, I am trying to do more more things that I love. That's my kind of therapy is, you know, doing ice baths, going to the beach, you know, doing those things that bring me happiness and bring bring me joy. I find that to be my kind of therapy. So I've really been focusing on doing those things since Jamie's passed. Um, and I feel like I'm finally finding my feet again now. Well, that's good, as I say, because, you know, self-care for yourself is, is obviously massively important. I found that out myself. Never, I never used yeah. to do it. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, traumatic situation and for the fact that you've still taking time for yourself and doing things that you love as well, which is which is excellent. So coming to the end of the, of the podcast, I always asked every guest that we have on, um, I always ask the same question. Um, if you if you could give one little nugget of advice to anyone who might be listening, what would that one little nugget of advice be? That you are literally not alone. You you are not alone, and the world would not be better off without you. You're very much needed on this earth. That's brilliant. Sammy, thank you so much for taking thank your time you out uh, to kind of raise this awareness and, and, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and keep striving forward with what you're doing and, uh, you know, you're really making a difference. Thanks, Nick. I really yeah. appreciate you having me on. Oh, no problem. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, for everyone else, I'll see you on the next podcast.